0: Welcome to a Script to Screen workshop podcast. Script to Screen is a charitable organisation developing the craft and culture of storytelling for the screen in Aotearoa, New Zealand. In May 2021, Script to Screen partnered with the Aotearoa Screen Publicists Collective to present the A to Z of Screen Publicity Wananga. The aim of the workshop was to show the many ways screen publicists can work alongside creatives to ensure their stories are discovered and watched by their target audiences. The sessions were recorded and this is one of 10 that you can listen to. Each session has its own whakatauki befitting the theme of the discussion.
1: Mate te te manu ka
0: With feathers, the bird can fly. Welcome to the session on the creator-publicist relationship. In this session, publicist and mentor Sue May speaks to Ainsley Gardner, the co-director of Cousins, and her publicist, Chris Henry, managing director of 818 and People of Influence. She also has Roseanne Liang, director of Shadow in the Cloud and Creamery, and her publicist, Courtney Mayhew, from Matter.
2: Kia ora um, Thanks to that previous panel, we've heard lots of really interesting stuff about audiences. Now you might be wondering, how am I, or we, going to go about reaching those audiences with specifically targeted messages and put in the right places in order to inspire them to watch your shows. I've got a simple answer for that. Hire a publicist. (laughs) Publicists are storytellers too. They tell the stories around your stories to the potential audiences, either directly or indirectly through um, conventional media or directly through social media. Aotearoa Screen Publicist Collective has, oh, Gemma talked about this before, we've devised a um, publicity planning toolkit that we're going to release at some stage later in this um, two days, which um, it's for producers and we hope that it will be helpful and it will address all of those things that we talked about in the previous um, session. Um, Now we're going to give you some case studies from two successful creator-publicist relationships. Um, We're going to, for Cousins, which had excellent reviews and more than $1.5 million at the New Zealand box office and still going... (laughs) In its 10th week. Um, so we've got here to discuss the publicity and how they did it and how they worked together. We've got Cousins co director Ainsley Gardner <gasps> and <laughs> publicist Chris Henry.
3: Yeah! <laughs> you had to work yourself?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Shadow in the Cloud director Roseanne Liang, Liang is here with publicist Courtney Mayhew. Yeah. Shadow is having international impact. It picked up the Toronto um, International Festival Midnight Madness Audience Award. And Roseanne was named in Variety's 10 Directors to Watch in 2021. This team also worked together on Creamery which, for the first time, TVNZ put all the eps on demand while playing it out weekly on Linear. Um, It's a bit early for official results from TVNZ, although maybe Ruben might. (laughs) 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 Um, But anecdotally, it's um, going off on demand. Um, So we'll open the floor to questions at the end. I'll probably interrupt you and say it's time for questions. Um meantime did for, for you new speakers who are here um, we've got this thing about people will if you say something that they don't understand ding ding, ding. ding, ding. that's the word forgot I thought it was beep beep ding ding
3: So that's if you say <laughs> if you use an acronym that nobody knows so so far we've been through ROI return on investment we've been through TX transmission and Rx record so if you got any sneaky ones, just remember
4: them. Yeah. yeah, KPI as well?
3: Oh, yeah, right. KPI. We talk a lot about KPIs. We'll get to things like EPK.
4: No, I was going to say, these guys probably don't use them. It'll be me and Chris that'll be yeah. doing ding ding. Yeah, yeah, you can
2: do it. Yeah, yeah. Um,
4: and just to note
2: also that this is the daylight version of what a publicist does. You'll hear about the hidden work they do in the After Dark session um, later on at 6pm. So now over to you, Chris, to start.
3: Yeah, well, kia ora. Um, firstly, I'd love to introduce Ainsley Garland to you guys. Um, Ainsley and I have been very lucky to work together for quite a few years. In fact, when I made the move into film publicity, Ainsley actually gave me my first film job um, for her film, um, Pa Boys, which released be a few years ago now, 2014. Um, and we've been lucky to work together um, across many years on a lot of great projects and have recently worked together on Cousins if it kind of works for you guys, I thought we might do a bit of a run through of kind of how the process went here and then we'll pass across to you guys. But, um, so kind of to kick it off, um, I thought, Ainsley, would you kind of let everyone know a bit of the backstory of how Cousins sort of came to be the, the film it is today? Sure. Um, tēnā tātou katoa. He, uh, e noho ana o he uri no Ngāti, Awa,
1: Ngāti Whakato here met wha noa apanui, um, ko Ainsley Gardener Um I'm Ainsley. I, um, I think what I just very briefly described for you there was my whakapapa, and the story of cousins has a long whakapapa, and it's the most significant aspect of it, um, I think. Um, so it came obviously from a novel by Patricia that was. Uh, I'll try and be brief because you've probably heard all of this, but it was released in 1993. It was launched at Takapuahia Marae in Porirua, I think, where Briar was there with her newborn baby. Merata was also in attendance. uh, And the book was passed around along with Briar's baby. Um, as As the story goes, the book came back. The baby was passed out the door and was gone for two hours. Um, so we always describe cousins as the baby that came, came back. But uh, and and from that time, 1993, Mitata tried to adapt the film. Uh, I read her version of it in uh, 2003. Probably, it was beautiful. It should have been made. Um, it was different to our version of the film, but at the time. The, the development process was not, um, was not where it is today. Uh, Merita was not able to convince that a, um, that a multi-protagonist story would work, that a silent protagonist would work, that a homeless, silent Maori woman as a central protagonist would work. Um, she was unable to convince that the presence of ghosts at a tangi uh, didn't need to be seeded throughout the film as uh, as a device. If you use ghosts, ghosts need to appear early for the audience to understand. Um, and also, <laughs> my particular favourite, um, that the the only significant Pākehā character is unsympathetic. So she wasn't able to get it funded. Um, and at that time, many Māori women were involved in that. Rhonda Kite, um, Joanna Paul, Karapaiwai, Uh, and Patricia herself were involved in that. Eventually, um, Merita, I don't know why she did this, I never asked, but she let the rights lapse, and um, Gaylene and Robin picked it up. They were also unable to make that film. So, Briar was working at the Film Commission in 2015. She said, when Merita passed away, I did Power Boys, which Merita had been intending to produce. And I wanted to finish that on her behalf. And I think Briar and I felt similarly about cousins. Also, Briar, as the um, mother to Patricia's grandchildren, felt an obligation to get it made. So Briar and I it started again um, with the novel in 2015 and went through a development process that not only um, was involved in the writing of the script, but also in the getting to the point of Briar and I agreeing that we were capable of co-directing it. Um, I had to acknowledge my own kind of ignorance and um, arrogance to assume there were no Maori women who could have made this film until we did Wadu. Um, and then I realized oh my God, not only are there not only is there one, but there's at least nine from a pool of at least 20 or 30. So um Chelsea, who plays young Jean, just emailed me yesterday and she said, um, yeah, it's a, it's a film that needed to go through three generations in order to be made, and yeah, so th- that is the papa of Cousins. Is that satisfactory?
3: Yeah. <laughs> Got it. it. It's very good. And, I was trying um, to be quick. No, no, definitely, and um, Asia and does a really good abridged version of that for a radio interview as well, so, <laughs> but it's good to that get the... That was the, the approach. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're in a situation where we want to understand it fully, so... I think one of the interesting things that we can kind of talk about in this session is really the kind of nuts and bolts about how we engage with each other um, as we kind of go through this producer-publicist relationship. And one way that I always describe publicity is publicity is my team sport. So it is the sport that I play um, from a work perspective, and it's very much a team effort. People are good at certain parts of it and need to go away and do, uh, do their own bits, but you can't do one without the other. I need these guys to make a beautiful film for us to be able to publicize it. I need them to participate in the interview process of it. They need us to deal with the media to make sure that we're getting it into the right place. So it's very much a, a team activity. So I suppose where I would pick up a kind of an approach perspective was um, ANC and I had worked together for quite a few years as well as Georgina Condor, a producing partner. Um, and we worked with Briar on Water um, as well. Essentially, we came on board at the unit publicity stage of it. So, ding, 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 unit publicity. Publicity that exists in the shooting process of the film. So, we came on board um, as the sort of as they're going into pre-production, really. Um, as all the casting was coming together, we read the script, we um, have a meeting to kind of work out what is um, the vision of the film. We'll talk about what the audience of the film is going to be, uh, the process of where it's going to be shot, how it's going to be shot, where, who's in it, all of that sort of stuff. So when we got involved in the unit, produ- uh, unit publicity stage of bit, that's at the point where we sort of start running our own races in tandem. Obviously, ANC has to go and make a film, um, and so we leave them to be able to do that part of it, and we're running alongside um, making sure that we are taking the most advantage of the shoot process as we possibly can. So a few elements of that. We obviously issued a, we issued a casting announcement at the very beginning of the film, and we do that for a couple of reasons. One... Um, as a bit of a fishing exercise. When you issue a press release about the casting of a film or the the start of pre-production of a film, you get all of the people in the media that actually you didn't know were big fans of either um, the creative's work or the story coming to you. And so you therefore know what you need to, um, who you want to service in an early stage. And then also it works to get the key information about the project out to media so that, um, I don't know, nobody's spelling Ainsley's name wrong or, you know, has the right funders in it and all of that sort of stuff. So we came on board with that, announced it, did that whole fishing exercise, then the film went off and was shot. It was shot around Wellington and Rotorua. We engaged with quite a few local media in those particular places to bank stories for release. So um, worked really closely, especially in Rotorua, with a few media outlets down there and did a couple of set visits and kind of got stuff in the can. Once that's all done, we obviously worked out um, a bunch of our deliverables, press kits, stills, all of that sort of stuff. We worked really closely with those guys on what they were going to shoot from a stills perspective and an EPK perspective and help work through the process of checking to make sure that works. Oh, sorry, e- EPK? I mean, I know what it is. Yeah, no, 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 it's all right. EPK, electronic press kits, stills, the, what you take on the film set. And we are going to get to that later in the material side of it, so we might leave it at that point, but that hopefully makes sense. I sort of feel like I'm rushing through it a little bit, but I probably what I would like to kind of point is, in which which is kind of the purpose of this conversation is, because we are, in both examples, have worked from the unit space right through to the release space, it really is that secret source of getting a good publicity campaign running because you're really across this, and feel free to jump in at any stage to to, to echo my point, I hope. Um, But when you you are involved in that process from beginning to end, it's economies of scale. It means that you know, you've been on the team since the beginning, you know what's going on, you understand the importance of of the parts of the film and the stories, and you've got the ability then to be able to sell it in its most genuine and authentic way. Would you you guys agree? Fuck Papa. (laughs) Correct. Yeah.
4: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think it's, it's it was the first time I ever worked on a film from beginning to end. It was a game changer. And I the whole reason that I ended up doing unit publicity is because I started on the release side. And I would get given assets that were not usable anymore in the current landscape. Um, I would couldn't get any information on the production. And so I essentially went backwards and went, I'm going to become a unit publicist then as well. And... Um, If I'm not going to be working on the release, I'm going to make sure I have a great report that's pulled together as well for the release publicist and for international. But then I'm also, if I do get to work on the release, I've already got a shorthand with the creatives. I know their quirks. I know um, who likes to do what, who likes to be paired with each other. All these kind of little shortcuts that they help immensely when you're doing the marketing and the publicity and um, establishing trust. As well, is huge.
5: Yeah, I mean, it was a game changer for me too because this was the first time I'd ever had a a, a movie where I had a relationship with you right from the get go, and I didn't know that was a thing. In my last movies, I didn't have that, and um, and the, and that and that continued through our you know through pushing it into into the New Zealand market. So, um, I would I would always recommend to directors you know engage early, engage in development at this point you know so I you the. the, the I know how to make a movie, but I don't know how to get to people's eyes. So, um, I mean, I I know, I don't know, yeah. If anyone's still
4: saying something like get them involved in development, Christopher Nolan does. So if it's good enough for him, (laughs) you know, Gemma, right? He gets, one of the first people that reads his script is his publicist. And it's not so we sit there and we meddle because you guys are the experts in doing what you do. It's so we get your story to the masses. Because I think Chris will probably echo this as well. The reason I do this is because I absolutely love TV and film and I love the people that make it. And I want to get their story out there.
3: So um,
4: if, you're, if you're a good publicist and you're doing it properly, you're just going to be supporting. Yeah.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we have a vested interest in, in these projects going well because if these films don't have commercial success, then we don't get to do it again. And neither do you guys. So it's quite important for us to make sure it works at the back end. <laughs>
4: And then also to that, commercial success is one indicator. There are a whole other bunch of things that we'll get into a little bit, I think, around the tricky stuff that we've navigated with um, this, this shadow in the cloud in particular
3: well I, I suppose I'll talk really briefly about kind of that transition between the release the unit publicity and the release site, and I suppose Ains, it's been, this is kind of the point where we get to regroup and you've produced a film. Do you want to kind of talk a little bit about? those last stages of audience testing and, and kind of the, the engagement of, of, of core fans and then how we kind of... Then I can talk about how we came into that.
1: Well, we had COVID, so I don't mm-hmm. think we did any audience testing, did we? I think maybe we had a couple of small... Um...
3: That's what I'm thinking of, is being in that beautiful that at um, DOP and, and watching the <laughs> oh. final cut before you locked it.
1: <laughs> With our friends, who said, great. <laughs> <laughs> That's it's... the best kind of audience testing. Um... Well, I think just to speak to that thing about unit you know, publicity, and I don't even know what a publicist does, honestly. <laughs> when I read that question, I was like, "Man, I hope they don't ask me to describe that." <laughs> um, I I know that yeah, it is like a sports team. It's a sport I don't understand, um, but yeah. So so it is that thing about the sooner you come into relationship with someone, the um, more connected you all are to the story, the more. Um, the, the greater understanding you have about the whakapapa of the film and how you fit into it, and also, therefore, how to um, convey genuine messaging. Because <clears throat> I think marketing can be a, a, a space where you convince people of something they don't want, but in film, you have to convince them of what it is they're going to experience. Um, because once people come to a film, if they're disappointed by what, you know, what you've presented, um, that doesn't work well at all. Um, so in terms of making, so we had that great relationship prior to. We had, for cousins there was, I mean, it's, it's such a different case study because for so many reasons, I mean, this audience is so broad if you just factor in all Māori who are Desperate for this kind of material, you know. So we, so we weren't having to kind of get into any specifics in that regard when it came to audience testing. As I said, we we're in COVID, so there was very little that we could do. We were largely sending it to um, all of our Indigenous filmmaking peers around the world to make sure that there were, you know, we were we were um, being held to account for our storytelling, but from a perspective that we. Where there was resonance, and that we could un- understand. Um, and then I think because we had this long relationship, it wasn't like we were discovering new things at that point, which is what makes it an interesting case study, study is that we, we had a lot of the information that we needed really early on. An interesting point, though, is that people are still um, messaging the cousin's website saying, when is this on? <laughs> and it's like, how can they not know? That's what I find astounding. So so the length of that relationship and then the, ways, the way in which we... Um, the, just the balance, I suppose, of um, how much you build anticipation, and at that point when the film is being finished, how kind of um, how to stagger that, um, how to stagger that information, because I think people can get pretty saturated with stuff, or just tired of waiting for too long. So all of that, all of those kind of mechanics, we largely leave to Chris. <laughs>
4: I think your, to your point about that, largely leaving too long, is we have to realise that consumer habits are changing so much and much faster than they used to. When I first, the, my first job in film, aside from uh, working in a cinema at the age of 18, was uh, working in-house for Paramount Pictures and we used to do campaigns. like I did the um, word-of-mouth screening campaign for Bridesmaids 10 years ago um, it was three months beforehand and we did it for three months. We were showing the film and and it, that was the way things worked. Now, because of streaming, because of all the other ways that people are consuming media, a lot of the time people see something and they expect they can watch it like that. Mm. And if they can't, once they can watch it, they're like, it wasn't that like, ages ago? It's a, bit, it's a bit stale now, you know, and it's... Um, and I think that, you know, as, as windows are collapsing between theatrical and streaming and um, things like that and consumer behaviours are changing, we have to kind of be constantly changing. And that's something that Chris and I, that's our, that's our mahi, we're constantly keeping tabs on that um, because, yeah, it is quite
3: rapid. Oh, absolutely. It's a, it's a very finite period of time between th- something going too early and something going too late. Yeah. You need to be just in enough time that people think that it's realistic but also not far enough away that they don't have plans in the weekends. <laughs> ten days, I think, is about the general rule. Tell someone I mean, ten days out. So they're like, oh, I can't go this weekend, yeah. but I can go next weekend. Um, once we got into the release plan of it, um, I think one thing that's really interesting and kind of following on from some of the conversations they had in the earlier session is this is when the, sort of our sports team got a bit bigger. Um, distributors came on board for the film. Um, a whole lot of other people uh, came involved in the process, and that's where the whānau of the film got bigger and we all kind of got our key responsibilities. We all had a really big sit-down meeting um, quite early in the piece to discuss audiences and what we really wanted to do and pull together a really big plan like that. And I think that one of the things that was really clear across all stakeholders was that the most important thing for us to do for this film was to show the community that the film was for. And we use that really closely from a publicity perspective. Um, we held a champion screening really early in the piece, just as the trailer dropped, where we got um, a whole bunch of um, Wahini from across Auckland who we thought had genuine influence in the space to come along and see the film and engage with them. Um, we worked really closely to engage um, Ainsley and Briar, um, making sure that they were really the face of the film um, and could speak to the heart um, of what the film was all about. Um, we then moved into a, a kind of a wider press campaign. We engaged in a, in a, in a section of marae screenings. Do you want to talk a bit about about the importance of that?
1: Yeah, so the, you know, our previous screenings were centred around the marae of some of our main cast, and um, there was some debate with our distributor at the time. Well, actually, there was never any debate, but it was a curiosity about whether that's money well well spent. Um, and the reality is is that in all of the areas that we had those marae screenings, uh, the far north, actually, but the far north, who's serviced by mainly Whangarei cinemas, uh, Rotorua um, and uh, Te Araroa on the coast, all of those areas continued to be a, a delivering our best box office. And yes, of course, it's partly because that Cast member comes from there, but the you know the the span of your fano is only so great. Actually, it was the community responding to the value they felt that was given to them by those particular screenings. I think filmmakers, by and large in New Zealand, do do a lot of that kind of value-based um, screening, and particularly for Māori films, I think it's just a, a no-brainer that that community in that space. I mean, those marae screenings weren't that fun in many ways because it's not the best way to experience a film. So our first one in Rotuiti, Brian um, was nearly having a panic attack because people were just getting out, walking around, kids doing what kids do at the marae. It was, but it was beautiful. It, was, it, it wasn't about the film. It was about the community and the community engagement. So all of those people went and saw the film again, um, if not twice. Um, So, yeah, that was really significant. And also the messaging needed to be um, that thing around, you know, marketing can convince people to go and see something they don't want to see. Um, It was really important to us all that that the overwhelming messaging was this is a film for Māori. Um and I don't even remember having conversations until the box office started started to come in where I was like, Oh, what about our parkour audience? Do they know this is on? <laughs> um, because it wasn't even th- it wasn't even it wasn't really a big part of the uh, the conversation and I think that had has boded, bidden. Bud, yeah. ding,
3: ding. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, does well. bodage mean? Well, uh, yes, yeah, so
1: it's, it's gone, well. gone well. It was,
3: it was, it was the right thing to do, and I think that it, it, it forms an interesting part of, of our partnership. And you know, I run a an entirely Pakiha team um, in in our business. We've worked um, on many films of uh, Pacifica films and, and Māori films across the years, and I think that um, being allowed into this beautiful world and and feeling like we are a true part of the Fano and understanding the whakapapa of what's going on has allowed us to make sure that we really do help extend the reach into the Māori audience that does come through Fano and comes through connections and comes through um, cre- the credibility that the people who are part of the project have, but then being able to use a wider mainstream lens to kind of continue to make sure that it does appear in those mainstream outlets that does get those big... Hits, you know, making sure that you're in the listener. Yeah,
1: and on, on that, that was an important kind of learning. I think the distributor brought on two Māori interns, which was essential the because they were not, they're also a our organisation. Um, and I have laid down the tunnel, the challenge to Chris that his next employee ought to be a Māori employee because it's really important that these conversations um, <clears throat> happen internally, not just... Um, from us to them, and um, but just early stuff was like our influencer letter went out to our inf- Wahini Māori influencers without a, a significant enough amount of tikanga attached. It didn't explain the the fuck of the film. It lacked just some basic kind of stuff. So and we kind of corrected that along along the track. So um, another reason why. Chris is great to work with us because he's agreed that he's going to do that,
3: right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but I think that it's a learning exercise on on both sides, and we're really grateful for some of the lessons and, and learnings that we got to go through the process. And
4: I actually, this is the way I got to meet Roseanne, was through Shadow in the Cloud. Uh, someone had, um, a producer I think, had recommended me to Tom Hearn, the producer on Shadow in the Cloud, and we had a hui and, from there, he hired me, and then I got to sit down with Roseanne and the amazing creatives and get into it. I was always a fan of Roseanne's work, so I was pretty stoked. Mm-hmm. Um, my Wedding and Other Secrets is, it's it's like such a key part of a certain time in my life, and yeah, just, it was amazing, that film. So anyway, we got to sit down, and I'm gonna get right into it with Shadow in the Cloud because we've kind of talked a lot about the process and things, but this one had a bit of a tricky challenge to it on a comms level. Um, and it was something that we knew we were going to have to navigate right from the get go. And I'm going to put Roseanne right into in it, just because of the point when I met her in pre-production was when we sort of had the, had this uh, discussion around uh, around the certain issue. And where was it at in pre-production at that stage?
5: I mean, yeah, it was it, it was actually with the project when I took it, um, to be honest. But but how you know how present it was changed you know it's almost like it got closer and closer like a like a ghost coming down a corridor and the lights are flickering and suddenly it's right in your face um but when i picked up the when i picked it up um there'd been murmurings around about max Land- i'm just going to say his yeah. name yeah. he's not like voldemort max landis uh is um allegedly an asshole um and uh, eight women have accused him of sexual assault and rape um, and uh, at that time, it, it, there were murmurings about him in 2017 around the Me Too um, movement, but nothing. Spawn, nothing. Nothing. What was I going to say? Nothing concrete. Nothing concrete. Um, but and so when I when this project came across my desk, um, uh, the producer was like, "Look, there are five other Max Landers projects, um, one one uh, with Idris Elba attached, which are all going forward in Hollywood right now."
4: Yeah. So, so Max was the screenwriter, the original. Yeah,
5: he was the screenwriter. So so yeah. So um and then we um uh, excised him from the process because the producer said that he wasn't a good personality fit. Um and I was and I got carte blanche to work on the script myself.
4: Yeah. So that was and that was we sat down and I talked to Roseanne about it, and I knew that the murmurines were probably going to crescendo and there would be something significant. So everyone wanted to front fit it. And my key thing was I didn't want these guys to have to worry about it while they're trying to make a film. Um, and the timings were such was that was when it was really starting to build. So one of the good things was the um, in conjunction with the sales agent, uh, we actually ended up getting an independent US agency on board to handle the specific um, issue and to basically... Get all the facts. And the good the the good part about this as well, about me being there, these guys started they started a shooting, and then this agency was engaged. And Roseanne's making a movie, and they're they're going, What's the background? Who's and so I'm trying to sort of block them from these guys because I, I wanted them to worry about that, and get the right time to say, hey guys, what's actually the history here? And I was the fact gatherer, pulling it all together, passing that on and working really closely. Um, the other thing was, was that all of the filmmakers, and I think they would all be fine with me saying this, they all had different opinions on how to handle it, uh, all the producers and Roseanne. They were able to speak to me one-on-one and speak freely so I could be that soundboard for them, pull all of those opinions together and figure out what the US team a strategy going forward. Um... It it was something that has been a very big front and centre part of my job as a publicist, especially I was in Australia when the Me Too movement hit. Um, It was a lot, from my understanding, I wasn't here in New Zealand, but it was a much bigger thing within communications landscape in Australia and in the film industry um, and the TV industry and the theatre industry. Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Australia was a doozy. Um, So... With this one, it was yeah, it was about protecting the filmmakers. That was my that was my main goal, and and also not forgetting the fact that we needed to get assets, mm. that we wanted to do all these other cool things, and we didn't want to spend the whole time talking about Max Landis, right? So we needed to pull, put put the strategy together, and we did, and that was so we had a strategy that was cool. Movie starts getting made. I you know we did the things like media set visits, which um, we did do, and I'll say this as well. Uh, obviously, when when you have an issue like that, you go, let's not do media, and the US did not want us to have any media on set. And I said, just let me have one, and that person will be Kate Roger. Because Kate Roger will not ask these questions. She doesn't care. She cares about film. She cares about the process. So... And that was down to, you know, the relationship that I had with Kate. And that's another key part of your publicist is knowing that they have got these really strong relationships with media and they're trustworthy ones. And they know the ones that aren't trustworthy. Um, (laughs) So we had Kate on set and we did all this. Because, you know, we didn't want to miss the fact that we had Chloe Grace Moretz here in New Zealand and Nick Robinson here in New Zealand. So let's capture at least something. We got some great behind-the-scenes assets. We had awesome stills photographers. It was wicked. Last day of shoot, <laughs> last day, and I get a call from the US. Um, a article's going to drop, and they're asking about Shadow in the Cloud. We had a strategy in place. That strategy was put to work. All I had to do was go to Roseanne. I would recommend putting your social media on private, and you did. And Great. Yeah. Great
5: idea, yeah. yeah. In fact, I was already receiving you know, yeah. um, DMs from randoms. Um, attacking me, and um, that was one of the easiest and best things to do,
4: yeah. Yeah, I mean, and then, yeah, it's, so that, and it it was handled really well in the end, it didn't, because the thing is, uh, and I'll I'll be honest about this as well, we're not just spin doctors, we're also your, we're your, um, for filmmakers, we're checking the cultural pulse and we're advising on it. I'm someone that, um, personally, I will not, in the Me Too movement, I will—I didn't want to defend anyone that was involved in it. I only wanted to look after people that were getting the collateral damage, um, because I do it because I love movies, not because of the, the spin. Yeah. Do you agree with that?
3: I yeah, I 100% agree with that. Yeah. Um, it's a very—it's a very Switzerland territory as a as a publicist, but yeah, it's sort of it a is. job between being Switzerland, but also being someone's mother. Yeah, yeah, there's a huge... A whole lot of people's mothers, actually. <laughs> yeah, 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 huge... <laughs> picking je- them up, getting them coffee. <laughs> yeah.
4: And then what was great was the distributor then brought me on board to work on the release of it here in New Zealand. So we continued to work together. Um, I knew the assets that we had. Um, I, knew, I knew that Roseanne was a bit of a show pony. <laughs> which
5: you're I've really- only recently come to terms with that, but yeah. yes, I am. <laughs>
4: Um, and I had a relationship with the uh, with you know the, the big Hollywood star that was in the film. I had a relationship with her publicist, and was able to go straight. Actually, had, and her brother, I texted him and just said, "Can we just at least get three interviews for New Zealand?" Which I honestly don't believe would have happened if it wasn't. I'm just going to say if it wasn't me because I had that existing relationship. She's super busy. She's on a million and one different projects. Um, so there's just like all these little little things that really help out.
5: It's all about the personal. I mean, you talk about being my mum, but like it's it's a, it's almost like a advice or a, an extra bouncing board because if it were up to me, because I wanted to front front everything, I wanted to come out and do a statement just to front because because I'm if we're talking about an issue that's really important like this, I don't wanna I don't wanna put it under a cover. I understand why women and men want to talk about this right now, um, and and I would have gone out and and sort of just. Uh, but but that, but in doing that, I would have taken the focus to somewhere else that wasn't actually – I didn't need to do that. So so being able to bounce off you and, and, and get your advice and understand w- w- just how to play this was um, – it's such a tightrope uh, when it comes to stuff like this.
4: Yeah, it's a tightrope, and it's only from experience, I think, that you know how to advise on these sorts of things. Um, and, you know, the advice – so the advising goes on yesterday – Roseanne got a DM from someone. Screenshot it. It was for a different project. Said, "What do I say?" I said, "Ghost, ghost them. <laughs> do not reply." <laughs>
5: yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. That, I mean, solid advice, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. I'm like, oh, I, I want to. I don't want to be mean to someone, but yeah, y- y- you can't win. You actually yeah. can't win. Whether you, uh, yeah. Anyway. Anyway, can we just, move on to Creamery now?
4: Yeah, oh, Creamery. Yeah. So Creamery. Um, just so everyone's aware, I didn't. I didn't work on the. The unit publicity that you guys didn't have, did you have? No, yeah. So I, it was, we just finished the release of Shadow in the Cloud. I'd been hearing about Creamery. I could, there's no way that I could say no to being involved in something so utterly bonkers <laughs> and so brilliant. Um, and just said, I just want to help, like just sort of let me know. And Roseanne brought me into the fold with Kevin and Cohen with the Flat Three Girls. Um, and it, but it was literally the week before. It um, dropped. <laughs> yes, it was the week before.
5: Um, so, I mean, the reason we did this was because Creamery um, is bigger than New Zealand, or we want it to be bigger than New Zealand, um, because we 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 want it to be a true, um, you know, you know, unapologetically, unapologetically Kiwi, but um, global, preferably US uh, ready show. So, um, TVNZ um, and you know Flat Three and Kevin and Co have their own kind of. Territory, but we to be able to make the show, we wanted we have a um, a three season series, you know, plan, and
4: we want money for it. So yeah, and and you need sales as well. Yeah, so, we, need, so, we need sales. And I have my background is on a lot of international projects, um, and I mean, uh, whether it was Australian projects or New Zealand projects or even American projects, I was working on. Um, Arming them with assets that I know are going to be used internationally because I'm often working with those partners. So, Tony Years, who's actually the EP on Cremery, I worked with him on the Cape Blanchette created uh, Stateless TV series, which was an ABC Productions in Australia and then sold to Netflix. So I knew what Netflix wanted for the deliverables for that. And so this is um, half of the reason for bringing me on is for me to kind of do an asset overview and go, this is what we're missing. This is what we, you know, I, I think you can do without. Um, but like, let's like make sure this is properly armed. And I'll be really honest, I wish I was on it on set. Um, we because didn't have money. I know you didn't have money. But this <laughs> is the thing is I can, there are things that I'm like, oh, that would have been so good to capture that we just can't now.
3: We can. Yeah, I suppose yeah. that's part of the bigger conversation that we're all having here yeah. today is about about finding that point in the process that publicity should be involved in thought about because the earlier in the process that you can think about it, and there's different ways of cutting the publicity budget in terms of you know someone being there every day eating your lunch versus someone being there once or twice to get some key things. Um, yeah, sp- and
4: that's that's like a that's a very yeah very key thing, but budgets you're probably going to hear hear this a lot, so I'm just going to say it once. Gemma uh, mentioned that COVID had brought me back. I was actually back before COVID. It was actually love that brought me back. Um, (laughs) But... um, (laughs) No, that's fine. No, but but you were semi-right in that before COVID, I was still doing 50% of my work overseas, and I will say it was because if I came back and only worked on New Zealand film sets, my bank account wouldn't be good and i went i've got to continue to and so i can do some of these new zealand ones so it is something that does needs does need to change because the hours
3: the hours you put in and the hustle oh totally and you know we, we, this will go on times but you know i i run a team and sometimes we work on jobs that i physically will be paying my staff to work on so therefore the the project is physically cost me money um, yep <laughs> but there's also economies of scale about the industry and the love of projects and wanting to be part of it. Yeah. Sorry, those schedules can be really um, packed and And if you haven't done it before, what does that experience feel like?
1: I've done it so much, I couldn't... I can't even remember what it feels like to not have done it because I've done it as a producer so often. I reckon I'm good talent, don't you? I think she's I?
3: really good I'm talent. I'm
1: fast. I, understand, I mean, I, obviously, I do talk a bit, so I'm... I feel a little bit hurt about what you said
3: earlier. <laughs> <laughs> no, but well I'll give you I'll give you a compliment then. Um and, uh, <laughs> Um Ainsley's really good talent in terms of engaging with media, but she's also really good at, um, like, the post-match debrief after each of the interviews. We have, like, real good yarns about how we... What, yeah. what was the approach we took on that? How can we do that differently? And you're really open yeah. to that being a collaborative <clears throat> process.
1: And I think if I can recall back to when I hadn't done it very often, I remember actually we may have been given media training because I think actually understanding how to answer the same question many, many times say roughly the same thing, but not in exactly the same words is really, really important. So I don't know if media training still happens and it's just another expense, of course, but but even just that experience of, and as a producer, I, I have a probably a better grasp of it because I have to write all of the synopses and I write all of the press releases from a production point of view. So I'm able to capture those things. But probably that's it. Really key messaging um, and, yeah, just brevity probably.
4: I'm all for, I'm all for me- media training. Um, I've done it a lot and I've done it especially with young actors who have never done it before because it's even like, this is, this is how different it is to do live TV, this is how different it is to do radio, you know, those sorts of things. But
2: And you need to say more than was awesome...
5: Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I haven't actually done media training. I'd like to, I'd like to do that. that way, oh, okay. oh, my God. Stealth <laughs> media training. Media training by
3: stealth is the best version oh, of it. Oh, my
5: that. God. I didn't even know. Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay, wow. we
3: report um, the debrief after this, don't Yeah, I know, right?
5: Let's <laughs> say, wait a second. Um, uh, Toronto was weird because it was COVID and it was all, um, it was all uh, uh, over Zoom. So it was, it was this insane, like I had, like it was just a lot packed into a very short amount of time, like three hours and every 20 minutes it was like, you know, another one. Um, and, and I guess, uh, yeah, the, the peeing thing is a good thought. Um, and um, maybe uh, think about your background, because my background was real cluttered. And um, yeah, I, I don't know. Other, other than that, yeah, just just brevity. I think I got better each time I did it. And and also watching Chloe Grace Moretz do it. I mean, my God, she's amazing. She, I mean, but she's been doing it since she was five, so, yeah.
1: yeah. And potentially having your publicist there, if you, because I know, like, for example, with um, James from Boy He and Breaker Upper is, because he'd had his accident, he wasn't as able to s- stay on track as well. And so for me, actually, rather than the publicist, but for... Um, new talent and that sort of thing to actually be supported by somebody, as long as it's not at live, obviously. But any other pre-recorded or print stuff, it's fine to have someone else in the room who who can prod you or say, "Well, what about that thing about that you were saying about this?"
4: That's something that yeah, when I worked on a
1: um, big
4: studio film, and it was a, the lead actress it was her first thing, and she just wouldn't do me. She was like, "I can't do it. I won't do it." And I was like, "Okay." You're, you're an alien. It's a big franchise. Yeah. It's going to happen. So we've got to figure out what, the way to make you feel comfortable. And the way that she felt comfortable was if I was in the room. So we would always do it and she'd just look at me and I'd nod and smile and then I would, you know, so, but that's, yeah, good point. Gemma has a question. Oh yeah,
0: I, um, no spoilers, but
4: Creamery goes to some pretty
0: Handmaid's Tale places and I'm interested in how you have the how you have the hard conversations around, I guess, cultural sensitivities and Me Too and all that sort of stuff in terms of the content now being out there and questions that may arise? And is that something that comes up in your relationships with each other?
4: It came up with us, eh? So, do you want to talk? Oh, yeah, well, yeah. We, so, I had watched, I think, the first four episodes and – um then Roseanne said to me, look, this is what happens later on. You know, what should we do? And I said, let me watch it and I'll see. And then I watched it and I called you and I said, yeah, we should we should do something about this. And I think, um, first of all, it started with uh, Roseanne and them properly fo- following the process on set with an intimacy coordinator. And, you know, even the actor in the scene, Tandy Wright, is intimacy coordinator. Um, but, yeah, it went into... Um, you know, sexual assault a territory of a man and which is something that isn't talked about that regularly and that episode is not this Monday but the Monday after and I won't say what outlet but there's going to be um, an article that is interviewing Roseanne, Jennifer Wood-Leland, who is the intimacy coordinator and Tandy Wright, who was the actor in the scene, tackling it head on, this is how we, this is how we made sure everyone was safe this is um, you know how we are coming from it as creatives instead of just leaving it and then having to respond
3: great approach guys yeah yes.
4: front footing it so and it's because it's something that you guys feel quite passionate about too epartahetahiata lisa
2: I just want to give a big mahalo, lava, to the weight of the mana fafine in the room with two of our favourite, favourite creatives of the most amazing content that's come out this year. Can I just ask you guys? I'm I'm curious. You know, um, with with the work and um, how you get your own communities to back it. Um, do you, have you found? like was that sort of um a deliberate part of a of a publicity strategy for for example like you know the the people of the regions that maybe some of those stories were based or you know the the um pan asian community i mean was that was that considered as part of it and and has that been something i mean have those communities be been actively involved in kind of sharing you know um
1: promo and stuff around it um, <clears throat> yeah, so i um Yahoo, yaho, I'm still a bird, learning to fly in these territories, so I do my best. But um, always, always, these conversations underpin our creative um, decisions. Cousins was I, I've had. Pa boys was had funding from um, my Ngatiawa. One of my Ngatiawa. Ewe organisations, and we shot into Teko and did some stuff, and um, we had a premiere there. <clears throat> so worked sort of meaningfully with them, um, in order to access some um, funds. The same with Ngasi Pukiau. um and cousins, we accessed finance from them. We shot in at one of their marae. We cast locally from that from our Farno and hapu. We um, had internships. And, um, yeah, absolutely, our our kind of premier, COVID-disrupted premier was there. Um, And so um, these are all ways of working within those structures, within the current structure that we're working in, and I feel like we need to go further in terms of how to not just access those communities and have them support us in our storytelling, but how we do it the other way around. So. How to be in our own communities and tell the stories that are coming out of you know our own whānau, Hapu and Iwi and and so that they are actually investing. You know, we I took a script to um, to my this, to our Hapu organisation, um, and it worked out really well. They're, they're incredibly happy, and um, it's done kind of wonderful things in that community. But I would like to be able. To do more, but yes, the short answer is yes. Very much, though those things are super important.
5: Um, thanks, Lisa, for those beautiful words. Um, um, we so with Creamery. Um, so so the so the uh, Pan Asian community and uh, is is a tough one to crack. As I would have, as I've understood with um, my wedding and other secrets. Um, so, but you know, back when my when my, my wedding and other secrets came out ten years ago, I remember talking to people and they'd go, "Oh, yeah, that's that Asian movie." Um, and now with the reviews of Creamery, it's like everyone's saying, oh, it's a great Kiwi show. So the difference between that Asian and Kiwi. And I think maybe that's just just part of, um, I don't know whether that's, whether there's a cut through of the, of the content or whether or not time has just uh, changed the way that hopefully New Zealanders see Asian New Zealanders. Um, the Pan-Asian Screen Collective, of which I am one of the executive of, um, uh, spontaneously, um, through Chai Ling actually, organised a, a community screening of uh, on opening night. And that was a beautiful way to um, not only uh, celebrate as a community, but also send word out that we want more of this. You know, we don't want to be the f- first and only. We need myriad of the same, so uh, I think that's the way that we uh, we create a, a movement is that we're we're just one, and we want to be one of many, um, and yeah. So that's that's been really rewarding. Ah,
2: a po te mai te ki na ki na. Panelists. Um, I'd like to wrap up this session now um, and come back to the fakatoki that is for this session, which is Mā Te Huruhuru Te Manu Kārere. With feathers the bird can fly.
0: The A to Z of Publicity Workshop podcasts are proudly supported by New Zealand On Air's Industry Development Fund, the US Embassy, and Images and Sound. Music for the podcast was provided by Poddington Bear. Fakatoki by Lalena Feonati and voiceover by Gemma Gracewood. Kia ora.